Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. I was honored to be interviewed by Effie Vizhevkov. Um, Effie reached out to me asking about some really tough questions when it came to anxiety and sexual abuse. So I wanted to play this as a part of this um, 300th episode uh, of my podcast because I think it's very relevant. Questions that parents need to ask, questions that most of us probably need to ask when it comes to raising kids, our family, our marriages. So I hope this is a challenge and encouragement, and I'm very proud of um, Effie for reaching out and for asking these hard questions. So join me today. Hi. Um, welcome to Anxiety, What is Happening to Me. I have a guest on my show today. We're going to be talking about anxiety and sexual trauma. My guest is Corey Gilbert, and he has a PhD in uh, family psychology. And he also is a professional licensed counselor. So I thought that he would be a great person to have on my podcast to talk about this issue because I have no professional experience in it, but Corey does. He's also been doing this for over 22 years, and uh, and he loves coaching people, and he has a completely different method. He doesn't sit there and talk to you for years. He tries to get you to move forward with your life. So, hello, Corey. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Excited to talk about this, even though it's definitely a hard subject. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and that's why like, I have you on here, because I feel like it'll be nice to, to have that professional uh, aspect to it so um, do you have anything that else that you want to add to you to that no i'm just glad to talk you have some great questions that i want us to get into so i'm excited to offer that to those that are listening okay so um one of the first questions that i have is um how does adolescent sexual trauma affect puberty and beyond like if somebody had sexual trauma when they were a child and Maybe if they didn't talk about it um, to their parents or to anybody at all, and then all of a sudden they're in puberty and beyond, and they're having all of these feelings. Like, what? What do they do then? Do they ask for help? Um, like, what? What is their option? They're older now. They they know what happened to them. They understand it better. And uh, so, you have any advice for that? Well, I, I guess <laughs> the scary thing is they don't ask for help. That they they don't find people to be safe to talk to and even mm -hmm. parents who say I talk to my kids and I, I tell them that I'm, I'm available for you to talk the fact is is the kids the teens even will not bring it back up the shame that we have when something like that something so horrific or something so confusing happens it, it shuts us down and mm -hmm. so puberty as you mentioned that's a big one puberty almost it hijacks the body and reveals a lot of the, the junk. That's I think a lot of our transgender and a lot of the transitioning and questioning kids, it's coming mm -hmm. from trauma. And mm -hmm. so they're, they're freaked out at the idea of becoming a, a man or becoming a woman, adults like that picture of that. 
Um, mm-hmm. So they they run where where they go to, I think, is critical. So if they run to online communities, they're in trouble. If they mm-hmm. run to gender affirming therapists, which is the term nowadays, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So having these conversations, sad to say and weird to say, around the dinner table is, mm-hmm. is critical. Um, okay. And then getting people in our kids' lives. My kids, too, too we talk about this stuff at the dinner table, mm-hmm. but I make sure that they get around people that they could go talk to if they wouldn't talk to me. It's setting yeah. up a community of safe people um, that, that will engage with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how about, like, if they if they are in puberty, like, and maybe they're starting to get some anxiety, like what kind of tips would you have for them? Like if for some reason they don't have that community and um, that circle that you're talking about, or, or maybe they, their family is abusive. And so they never had a chance to talk about anything, you know? So. Well, and that's the sad thing is if their family is abusive or if they don't have that community, the honest truth is they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. As in, they don't have a space, they don't have a place. So that's where we really need to be afraid. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, moms and dads often are naive in a sense. The world mm-hmm. is not the same world today when we grew up. But then yeah. what if the parent has a history of sexual abuse in their own life? There's mm-hmm. all these areas they're afraid to talk about or won't talk about because of their story. And then it becomes generational. It becomes mm-hmm. multi-generations of abuse Versus someone saying, I need help. So a place to get help is the fact is online. This is the scary part. There are great places to learn. To, mm-hmm. But where you, where you learn from, they you become like your teacher in a sense. Mm-hmm. So if you go learn from someone that tells you you're just perfect the way you are, mm-hmm. of course, you're actually going to go in directions of just emotion or whatever I feel. Mm-hmm. Versus going in the direction of God wants to mature you into a much different person than you are today. And that's discipleship that's growing in, in who you are. We don't wait till they're adults to start doing that. We need to be yeah. doing that when they're five, six, seven. And then eight, nine, 10 is almost like an on-ramp to puberty. Mm-hmm. I believe eight, nine, 10 is where you're talking more about even here are the parameters about dating and about relationships. But most yeah. parents like, they're like, oh, they're too young for that. No, when you are ready to talk to them at 13, they already perform their opinion and they're not going to listen to you. So it's having mm-hmm. these conversations earlier. Um, when my kids were little, um, I, I asked them questions after they, a babysitter left. I would ask questions about whether they um, were touched in any way or you know, change their diaper or panties or whatever yeah. else. I ask really hard questions, but not because I look, was looking for an honest answer because shame shuts mm-hmm. us down. I was looking for change in their answer. Yeah. So a lot of it's just as a parent being able to ask hard questions. But like as you said, what, what if they don't have safe parents, healthy parents? Mm-hmm. What if they don't have that community? Um, that's where if I can come in as an aunt or an uncle, if I can come in as someone else, um, mm-hmm. it, it's critical to actually in the end, build that community and build that space. Otherwise where a, a teen goes, a preteen goes is actually really scary, especially with online and, and devices. The way we go online you know, in our, a device in our hand that we can hide or go to the bathroom with. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So like as a, so going back to like the, the subject, like what if somebody's like listening to this right now and they have um, experienced some sexual trauma and they want to look for help, who would they, who would they call? Like how, what would be their first step if they're ready, if they're ready to get some yeah. help. <clears throat> so first of all, you want someone who's been trained to work with trauma but here's kind of my rule of thumb. If they start asking you all these detailed questions about your past trauma, run. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not someone who knows what they're doing to, to work with trauma. If you're mm-hmm. having to retell your story over and over and over, you're being re-traumatized. And, and what I have found is much more effective is education. So mm-hmm. learning about how the past affects who I am today and then learning skills that help me at, deal with myself today because I can't delete what happened to me I can't erase Mm -hmm. it yeah exactly for some people they remember it vividly but for other people it's it's like some distant faded dark scary thing that they actually don't remember which actually is almost even scarier like Mm -hmm. moments of time where you're where it's just blank I don't remember this and I would say sometimes when we don't remember it's by the grace of God we don't so don't pray to remember yeah. Um, but I still need help. So learning about how your brain files away memories, how the brain recalls memories, how your body remembers. So then there's physical aspects of how we live that when someone touches me or even just a look from someone, here's why it affects me. And, and when I understand mm-hmm. biology, when I understand the body, then I start realizing, oh, that's a trigger and that affects me here. And that but now I don't have to just react. I can actually steward those things. The more okay. I learn about who I am, I actually can start going, oh, I, that's a safe person that I don't, uh, yes, definitely touch me. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is a good thing. <laughs> but I'm able to run it through my conscious brain versus it all running in my my unconscious, which is when we have past trauma, it's, it's running through a filter of a system in, the, in my unconscious that I can't control. It seems like outside of my reach. So mm-hmm. the goal is to move out of my unconscious to my conscious, which is where I take every thought captive, where mm-hmm. I engage my cortex. And then the, that third level, unconscious to conscious, is my my speech. So speaking to um, someone, talking to someone. It isn't going and telling my story necessarily. It's mm-hmm. talking through how am I affected today? So the picture I like to paint about counseling should be, I want to have my feet firmly planted today in today and mm-hmm. just just looking over my shoulder at the past, but I'm not going to go back and relive my past. I don't want yeah. to be haunted by it and, and re-traumatized by it. But as I learn how my body reacts today and my head, my heart, all of it, I actually start realizing that I can cut those tentacles from the past and I can start ridding myself of that wiring, that un, that harm, and I can live much more embodied, if you will, in today. Um, and all of this, as a Christian, to me, is actually allowing the Holy Spirit to transform my head, my heart, my mind, my body, um, by awareness and by learning and by growing. Um, I don't like like psychology to me. If you look at psychology, it's very secular. It's very um anti-god even and so do we just throw the baby out with the bathwater? and it's like no we actually see that there are really good tools 
that can help me um, be the best version of myself today for one purpose. And to me, the one purpose is God, where do you want me to serve? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so basically learning to stay in the present and mm-hmm. not living with what's going on in the back of your head and experiencing through this filter, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it the is filter, filter that we have. Picture. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. filter, which then makes me where I don't talk to my kids and I don't address these issues or I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of that. All these other things control me. And mm-hmm. the goal is to be able to go, no, actually, I want to be able to go do that. That over there, I, I don't want to do. So I'm going to say no to that and that's okay. But there's some things where I want to lean into. So a young person who is afraid to get married because of their past mm-hmm. versus um, a person who kind of pushes through the the fear, if you will. But mm-hmm. some push through the fear without dealing with the actual harm. And that's where you have further harm. And so a lot of it's dealing with the past, but living in the present and gaining skills and tools. So whoever you go out, go find a help counselor, um, someone um, that that you trust to talk through this. Um, I would say sometimes it can even be a friend who you're really allowing in close to allow you to process through and talk through this. But even Mm -hmm. that is almost secondary to the education piece. Yeah, so getting educated is the most important and just having that validation that it did happen to you, but now educate Mm -hmm. yourself, learn how to process your emotions and learn why, why you're feeling the way you're feeling and moving forward, right? Yeah. And if you don't have people in your life to talk to, then again, that's where most of us turn online. We turn to online sources, which mm-hmm. is really scary in the end. If we just go there and we just listen to YouTube videos, we just listen to podcasts. There was a mm-hmm. lot of unhealthy teaching out there about sexuality, about gender, about marriage. So mm-hmm. who I listen to absolutely, absolutely matters. Are they coming from a biblical worldview that has Christ at the center of why I'm even here? Yeah. Otherwise... Well, again, what's the point of me even being here, especially after trauma? Uh, I, mm-hmm. It bends me much more towards suicidal or towards um, no no value, lack of importance. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So I, I had a question. So we kind of um, no. touched on triggers a little bit, like as you were mm-hmm. talking. So when, um, when somebody is experiencing a trigger, they, can you explain triggers a little bit more? Because most of us just kind of live our lives and when things pop up we usually just tend to blame it on somebody else we will blame our feelings on the person next to us we'll bring mm-hmm. blame our feelings on the people driving next to us like we don't like to actually um experience the feeling and realize that it's our feeling it has nothing to do with the people around us so can you kind of explain like triggers like when we do feel a trigger and like and to realize that it's it's our trigger Mm -hmm. it's our feeling and not based on the surroundings or other people yes so it's funny when you when you go back to genesis you look at um adam and eve in the garden and eve Mm -hmm. took that took that fruit and ate that fruit and then there's this is where blame comes into the picture Mm -hmm. the first thing that happens is 
you know, she blames the serpent and Adam blames Eve and everyone's blaming someone else. It's always someone else's fault. And that's where the seeds of this are. We are by nature, not going to take on truth, if you will. And yeah. So, our, fact, own. <laughs> our yeah. own. Yeah. It's scary. It's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to like put that on yourself. You know, you want to, you want to well, do somebody else's fault. Yes. And when we see that that's how I'm wired because of sin, because of the fall, I can have some grace for myself first and go, okay, mm-hmm. my default was to blame them. And actually there might be tons of evidence to blame them, but that doesn't help me. It actually traps yeah. me. It's actually a trap. It's a snare of the devil. So how do I get free? I actually learned that when there's a trigger, I steward my response. No one mm-hmm. else can can say, control, or in that moment, influence my response. And mm-hmm. so here's a, a little method that I've learned. It's called trigger behavior reward. Trigger mm-hmm. behavior reward. That when there's a trigger, there's always a response, a behavior. But there's always mm-hmm. a reward or a reason why I do what I do. There's a mm-hmm. payoff. So mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we're doing now as an adult or even a young adult or teenager is patterns I learned that when I was triggered here, I responded in this way because that's to me the gold. We want to go the other way. We want to look at the triggers, try to figure out the triggers. And I go, let's go the back door mm-hmm. and let's go into why am I responding in that way? Oh, when I had that trigger before, I had this response because I was in danger or because there was a threat, but am I today? No, I'm not. Oh. And so the goal is to get that reward that used to work or that may have worked, even if it was false Mm -hmm. to make it distasteful, to make it not something that actually is true. And as Mm -hmm. I dismantle it, it, my system falls apart and I have to then rebuild a new system, which is Mm -hmm. where I can middle when I can insert a new behavior. So when some song triggers me and all of a sudden I feel like I have, I'm having an anxiety attack or mm-hmm. I, I take that smell just takes me back to some place. I'm able to go pause. Wait a minute. I don't want that response. That's not getting me where I want to go. I don't want yeah. anything else hijacking my head, my heart, my body to where now my heart's racing and I'm having a, an attack, panic attack or I'm shutting down. Mm-hmm. I want this because... That's the, the reward because I want to honor Christ because I want to be this person because I want to be this kind of person because mm-hmm. I want to maintain my presence in the moment, whatever that might be. I start learning to hack the system, if you will. Um, yeah. And then all from a secular. So think about what I just said. That's all a secular model. Now insert prayer, insert solitude, insert the Sabbath, insert um, reading your Bible, insert scripture, mm-hmm. all those spiritual disciplines are the, the, like what we should be using to actually go, God, I need help orienting me back towards you. Yeah. My bent is to run. My bent is to freeze. My bent is to fight. It's not to rest in you and rest in the truth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, that's so great. <laughs> like, just, yeah, definitely get getting yourself to what if somebody like, is um, hurts people in their response, you know, like they, they're, they're 
automatic reaction is to go into the fight, not the freeze or the or the flight. You know, they go straight into the fight. How did they um, apologize for that? Like, how did they explain to the people around them that um, they weren't really able to control their response at that time because they haven't maybe they haven't started using God and prayer and all of those things that you just talked about and they're just learning about themselves right now well I guess they can apologize all they want but Mm -hmm. we're not going to believe them if there's not change so Mm -hmm. the truth is is if people are doing that and not and and even apologizing I'm learning to distrust you more and more because you're not you can keep apologizing for the same thing and you keep hurting me in the same way. There needs to be a boundary there. Uh-huh. That's a scary one when it comes to marriage. When I'm married to someone who's actually hurting me over and over and over the same way, we almost kind of think, well, I'm just supposed to take it. And it's like, no, there needs to be a boundary there and consequence. And, and sometimes even a wall, like this is not acceptable behavior. Uh-huh. That seems unloving. And that's where I think we've embraced a very secular understanding of what love is. The mm-hmm. loving thing to do is not take it. The loving mm-hmm. thing to do is to raise the bar and expect more of someone and go, no, this is unacceptable behavior. I understand okay. that there's history of trauma or hurt or that does not excuse your behavior. So mm-hmm. you need to get help. We need to get help. Um, to me, this is where it does lead to a lot of uh, divorce. It leads to a lot of mm-hmm. pain. It doesn't have to. It does not have to, but often does. And then we don't know why. And then we go Uh repeat the problem again with someone else because you still haven't dealt with why. Yeah. So the goal is to grow, to learn. And I come back to that education piece. When I learn about why I respond this certain in a certain way, like, why do I keep taking abuse from someone? Uh There's a reason why I'm not fighting back. And a lot of it's yeah. the way I was trained, the way I was raised, the way I grew up, my, my theology in my mind as to who I should be. Uh-huh. Does it mean it's right? It's the way I'm made. It's the way I seem to be, but it doesn't mean I'm right. That's a scary you know, path to go down because I, I can't play the card. Well, because I was abused or because I have trauma or because I, I'm being a jerk or I'm being a, uh-huh. um, a um, I can say that once and then I get help and I change, I grow. Okay. And so relationships should be one of that that's evolving and growing together. Um, as a husband and wife, you should be growing together and closer mm-hmm. and closer and closer, even though you kind of ebb and flow and ebb and flow in life, you're back and forth closer in seasons and not so much in others. In the end, we should be getting closer and closer um, as we raise kids, as we do life, as we look towards late, latter years, post children, uh-huh. where um, now it's just us. Uh, I need yeah. to like you now. I need to want yeah. to be around you. <laughs> exactly. Writing that day that it's just us. Um, yeah. And a lot of a lot of older couples just kind of survive together, and it's heartbreaking because it's like you're missing out on a joy of the creation of God of the family. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just husband, wife, make kids. It was the whole picture of iron sharpens iron and growing and maturing because you married that person. And with all their good, bad, and ugly, God's using that um, to grow you. And so 
we, we need to lean into that, lean into that challenge, but also the blessings of it. Um, the blessings come from a lot of hard work, not rolling yeah. over and being violent um, or just taking it. So it's hard work. Yes. Marriage is definitely hard work. So yeah. you're, so you're saying like, kind of um, to summarize what you kind of said. So if, if your spouse does have a good boundary and you are the person that has trauma and you're apologizing for it and you feel like they're not loving you because they do have a boundary and they're saying, no, this is not okay. Um, it, that they're doing the right thing, right? In that moment, they're having a boundary. They're saying this is not okay. And and you shouldn't play that card. That's kind of like what you said, right? Don't play that and card get, and go get, get help. help. Yeah, yes. go get help. Yes. Yep, and change. The truth, none of us can do this alone. Mm-hmm. We're actually, none of us are meant to do this alone. But then if we're not careful, we get into communities. As in we create a, a group of people around us that affirm whatever it is we think or believe mm-hmm. and not truly helps us. Or we go, oh, it's all about diversity. Let's go over here towards all about lots of different people and mm-hmm. they're doing the exact same thing in that context if there's not truth as mm-hmm. in if you're not if you're sinning there needs to be exposure of that sin and dealt deal with deal with it dealt with it like it needs to be rooted out yeah um, so how i treat my spouse how i treat my kids um how i live my life all these things need to actually be you know are, am i growing more towards being a Christ follower, being um, who God wants to me to be. So, yeah, that's that's the. I'd say m- many, if not most, people I know. Too many people mm-hmm. I know. Um, life is just about punching a clock and kind of doing life and showing up the next day and punch the clock and do life. And it's like, really, that's God's design. What are you doing today to glorify God in in who you are, even if you didn't see another person today? Yeah, exactly. You, how are you doing it to bless and lead your children or your spouse or those you work with? I don't care where you work. Same there, same. You don't need to necessarily change your job. You, you may need to change your attitude towards your job. How am I showing up yeah. and being the best person in that space versus rah, 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 hating my job, hating my life? Because um, I look at a lot of teenagers that look at their moms and dads and go, I wouldn't want what they have. They're miserable. Yeah. Yeah. They reject all of it. I don't want marriage. I don't want to be that kind of man. I don't want to be that kind of woman. I don't want to have that kind of job. I mean, the the young people today that won't go work, what have they done? They've watched their parents react to the world in a way that we train them to be very, very, very lazy or and or scared. Yeah. And, yeah, because they you know, they do look at us and they do, they do want a better life. And if, if all they see is grumbling and, and, yeah. you know, no giving, no charity, no, no God loving yeah. types of activities, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely why they're not wanting to work and they just want to stick around. <laughs> so, you no, know, my kids right now, yeah. my oldest is 16 and he's got a job. I think he had like 40 hours of work last week at Chick-fil-A, which has been fun. Um Yeah. Because he, he really actually prefers the farm work. He actually likes out in the middle of nowhere, you know, more alone. So Chick-fil-A with all the energy and people is not necessarily his his favorite, but he's doing it. My middle yeah. son, who's 14, already works at Corbin um, in the lunchroom washing dishes. 
Um, and he kind of likes it and hates it because he's learning that he doesn't like being isolated in that room washing dishes. He's too social. Yeah. But then my 12 year old daughter is going, I've, it's not, life's not fair. I want a job. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Each well. family raises their kids different. And we, yeah. I believe that work is not a curse. Work is a gift. And so yeah. I want to train my kids that work is not something you do because you have to. And, oh, it's such a drudgery. It's a beautiful thing. Um, that's a different philosophy than others. And so every family is doing that with everything, commitment to sports, musical instrument, you know, whatever it is that we sign up with. But Yeah. Well, great. Um, so I have a I have a question that's going to circle back to <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. So um, I, I kind of wanted to touch on the subject of feeling suppression and how can that cause somebody to sexually abuse somebody because their feelings were suppressed or maybe they didn't talk about it and or maybe they didn't even know why they're having those feelings. They never got educated on sex or or feelings or any mm-hmm. of that stuff. And they just kind of grew up being clueless. And so then they go sexually abuse somebody because they just give in to their urges without any type of structure in their life. Well, and again, this answer, this comes back to education. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of families that, I, that I've worked with over the years, they believe that uh, talking about certain subjects is going to bring up the idea. It's kind of like with suicide. I don't want to bring mm-hmm. up suicide because it might give them an idea. It's like, you're not giving someone an idea. They already had it, or they're going to not even hear you almost. Mm-hmm. So we need to kind of go, Hey, are you, are you really okay? Are you suicidal? Could you actually commit, kill yourself and do that? Like be honest about it. We're afraid to know that the tactic there is go straight in. We need to do yeah. the same with sexuality. And to me, the, the curve is it, we need to go younger. Mm-hmm. We need to be so addressing how, how young, young would you how young would you recommend to start having these kind of conversations with your children? One, one, two, three, four. Like we start at age appropriate, but mm-hmm. earlier than you than you think. Why we're preparing them versus protecting them? We want to protect gotcha. them still, even as a teenager. We protect them from themselves a lot of times, but yeah, <laughs> we want to them about what is pornography the average age that especially a boy and even girls now are seeing pornography is seven eight years old Mm -hmm. so are we going to talk about pornography when they're a teen (laughs) they're going to teach you a lot by the way your teenager is going to teach you a lot about what you don't know because you may have looked at magazines when you were a kid they're on their phone scrolling video after video um, or on your ipad that they've stolen from you that you didn't know that was floating around yeah. Um, or through some other device that you didn't know had internet internet access. They're not yeah, looking like at a flip phone. <laughs> yeah, who knew that a flip phone had internet access? Yeah, I got and they're one not looking at just pictures. Yeah, yeah, and those flip phones are unfiltered. Yeah, they're almost a smartphone. You can actually lock it down somewhat. And so, a lot of where we're at as a parent is they're teaching us about some of the technology stuff. So at one and two and three, you're planting seeds about your body and how different, how boys are made and girls are made and some of the basics. Uh 
But as they're about six or seven, you're already teaching about sex and the way it's made, why their bodies are capable of actually doing this. Okay. So they need to steward the fact that, boys, your penis actually has another purpose than you just playing with it because you like it. (laughs) Like it's, it can do damage. Oh, and so can your head and what your eyes see and your desires. And if I prepare them younger, what actually happens when they enter adolescence is it's not quite an onslaught. It's not Uh filled with shame. It's actually something they can walk in and go, oh, I have to steward this. Not, oh, I'm a sick, horrible individual who deserves to be locked up, which is what a lot of people feel. Yeah, they'd be like, okay, I'm feeling these feelings right now, but that's okay. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, but be present with the people around you and educating that it's okay to feel. Right. But they're not going to necessarily come talk to you. So again, Mm -hmm. what I hear from parents, oh, but I've told my kids they can come talk to me. And I'm like, great. Some of them will. Maybe one or two out of 10 or 20 would come. Most are going to actually think they're supposed to just handle this by themselves or really see you as unsafe because of what you might do with the information. You might criticize them, ridicule them, whatever. So they either go elsewhere or for most, they don't go anywhere. They, they manage. So the responsibility lies on mom and dad to actually often address questions that that aren't being asked yet. And so like asking about, Hey, you know, how's your stewardship of you know looking up pornography? Um, yeah. When when we were out the other day, you I know you noticed that that young woman was dressed this way. What did your head say? What did your heart say? What were you thinking? When they're younger, they'll actually tell you, which is actually really yeah. fun. When yeah. they become an I should ask my four year old boy because <laughs> he'll it will be like you know I'll be watching and there's you know there's always the woman dressed very skanky in every video. Yeah. And, uh, and yep. so, and, you know, you'll kind of see him like, you know, just looking, it'd be an interesting conversation. I haven't had one with him, but yeah. <laughs> you're and, you're, right. was- and what you're doing is you're helping him steward the fact that you saw her, but you steward what you do. Yeah. So you saw, you don't just go do or go think yeah. or go hide it over here and, you know, use it for later fantasy. You actually go, wow, that person has a story and that person actually is a human and that person's a person and I want boundaries. You're teaching that yeah. at four, and five and six and seven and you're preparing them for, okay, okay, um, puberty is going to hit and man, is this going to be like a onslaught? So how do you steward that? You do it ahead of time. Now, yeah. what if you haven't and now you have a teenager that you need to have these conversations that's a lot more difficult because yeah. you're entering in and they don't want to listen and they don't want to hear from you they were actually kind of done with you and i'd say yeah. mom and dad push hard push hard push hard every time you sit down for dinner have hard conversations whatever you can have them in the car have those hard conversations um anytime i'm alone with my boys i'm asking hard questions talking about some of those hard issues it's harder when like my 16 year old starts driving now i don't have those kind of stuck in a car times so i have to be more intentional in finding those but we're building on what we've talked about for 10 plus years not 
starting new. So the question you asked in the beginning of what about that young person who's, you know, suppressing emotion, uh-huh. every single person has emotion uh-huh. for men. They tend to have one emotion called anger, but they actually label about 400 other emotions, just that one word anger. And it's like, no, you actually have all sorts of nuances of emotions. You're just too lazy to name them what they are. So they're just all anger. <laughs> yeah. Let's teach you about yourself. You're a lot more complicated than you realize that that wasn't really anger. That actually was jealousy over there. You just expressed it in anger. That really wasn't yeah. anger. You expressed it in defensiveness. And if you start yeah. looking, men are much more complicated than they even allow themselves to think. And uh-huh. so we teach that to our young boys to help them steward their emotions because you don't just go take something you want because you want it as in a young a boy that goes in and abuses a, a other boy or a girl yeah um so i've seen that a lot with some families where we don't talk about sex we don't talk about anything and all of a sudden their their boy is you know playing with their daughter yeah but yeah of course he's curious and you've given him no answers about the world he lives in and the body he lives in so mom and dad that's on you educate 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 that's why i wrote the two books i wrote yeah one's for the parents to help teach them about a biblical view of of gender and sexuality to help them think through what they would teach but then one's to hand to your teen or preteen that's for them to go i want to i want i had the same questions what does the bible say and how can i think through marriage polyamory um dating boys girls masturbation pornography you name it these kids need answers um and so that's where uh, that's the two that i've written that's really my heart and focus to help prevent but also help kind of clean up the mess as well yeah because i mean we'll talk about dessert you know we'll be like okay there's chocolate cake in the fridge nobody eat it but you know you have the same desire to go eat the cake but you know because there's a consequence right and you know the consequences and you know what's going to happen if you eat it. So you don't sneak in the middle of the night to go eat your ch- the chocolate cake. You know, you wait till dinner whenever you're supposed to eat it. And same thing with like, you know, sexuality. Like it should be spoke about, like you said. So this is a, a feeling, a desire, a good feeling. But it's the same thing. You know, it, it's a no-no. You're not allowed to touch other people until you get married and it's consensual and, you know, all of those things. So, Well, that's where, to me, the then driving, the next piece of that is, what is your theology of marriage? Mm-hmm. If I don't understand why marriage and why that's actually a sacrament, it's sacred and it's beautiful and it's protected, why would I care about that that's a long time from now or may never happen so i just want my cake and eat it too now i want to kind of use your illustration there's no reason to wait yeah so i have to have a theology of marriage which to me that's again i need to plant that seed when they're in their single digits and then grow that in their adolescence to have a biblical view of marriage that god created marriage to be one man and one woman for life and that it's uh-huh. that where the sexual expression is, is is reserved for and limited to. And that yeah. marriage and family and children and all these things are blessings. And it's a part of a structure 
that actually helps raise kids and launch. And this is not some social construct that people say it is or some archaic thing that doesn't work anymore. So let's reinvent it um, with multiple relationships or multiple marriages or multiple anything. It's there is one design that works. The rest fall short. So we have yeah, to teach exactly. Yeah, definitely have to teach them that, that, you know, these are the different ways that we live, you know. So, um, let's see. I think I have one last question for you, just to kind of tie everything in. So, like, what is a trauma trigger and how is anxiety tied to it? So, like, let's say we were sexually abused. We had a trauma trigger. And, um, and so like my podcast is like about anxiety and uh, like getting to know yourself. And because when I dealt with the anxiety, like I had no idea that it was anxiety. You know, I just thought that it was the other person's fault. But then when I started educating myself and realizing, no, this is, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling anxiety. So let's say, um, somebody's listening to this and it's their first time maybe even realizing that they're feeling anxiety because of sexual trauma, like what would, you know, um, how is that all tied together? Well, and so what I said earlier about the trigger behavior award, where that came from is actually a researcher uh, brewer, I think is the last name. He wrote a book called unwinding anxiety. Uh-huh. Um, very secular the book. The book is not a Christian book. The book has all sorts of stuff that's, like about how we evolved and all this stuff that I just, I, I throw that out. It's not to me a, a biblical view. The tools are, have been used and used and studied and studied and are actually really powerful tools of trigger mm-hmm. behavior reward, the way our minds work. Uh, Carolyn Leaf and her research, she's a Christian neuroscientist, has incredible tools that help us think through um, these exact same things. The truth is because of harm, it's like something uh-huh. was taking away from me way more than just the sexual hurt or the physical hurt or the, the um, personhood hurt. Yeah. Um, it, it's my sense of self has been taken away. My um, sense of being able to protect myself or so anxiety is very common and very um, prolific for someone who's has a history of, of abuse. Uh-huh. My problem, what I see is even, the men and women, men especially, but men and women who don't even realize they have a past of sexual abuse. Uh-huh. So they they haven't even connected to what happened to them as a child was downright wrong. And so yeah. that's why today they're trapped and they don't understand their story. And so they're living out a very disjointed life where triggers are just everywhere. So uh-huh. when triggers are everywhere, it's like everything else is in control of me. Yeah. When I start undoing that that web of a mess by going that other way around, so through the reward part, so not trigger, but reward, undo the reward, I can now have a new behavior. Uh-huh. Um, oftentimes, that behavior is actually anxiety. So uh-huh. here's the trigger. Behavior is I'm now anxious. I'm now in a panic attack. Uh-huh. Question, why? Why am I be- doing this this way? Is this truly a threat? Oh, no, it's not. Okay, well, why am I made this way right now? Why do I seem to be uh-huh. out of control? 
And yeah. most often I come to an answer at that point where I realized the, the moment it started, or I realized how it worked for me when I was this age or that age. And I start undoing the web and I start getting skills and tools to know myself, to calm myself down. The word mindfulness, I can't stand that word when it first came out because I felt <laughs> way too like new agey and way too Eastern religion kind of stuff. And the truth is it's biblical on so many levels of you need to fill your mind with. Uh-huh. And so you're, you're filling it with what? Anxiousness, more anxiousness? No, it's, you know, God, who do you want me to be? Who have you called me to be? Who am I because of you and your sacrifice? Uh Most of us, again, we live our life punching a clock, doing life, being the the mom or being the dad or being the, this fill in whatever title. And it's like, no, it's, you dig into mother being mom, the best mom I can be, the best dad, the best at my job, the best. And that's part of who I am. And most of us wear many hats. So yeah, we do (laughs) doing that as a mom, as a wife, as a, uh, all these different roles that we have. And then what's driving that when I start realizing that purpose is actually critical, Mm -hmm. the anxieties don't have time to catch. So you notice the trigger and notice the almost reaction and you're like, see ya. Uh, yeah. there's not time for it it's almost during idleness or it's when i'm distracted or when i'm really turned inside yeah when i tell couples that are struggling in marriage i'm like i want you done with your struggle that's inward as soon yeah. as possible because yeah. as long as you're focused inward satan can have a heyday with you and you're yeah. actually not serving your friends that need you and others around you and so yeah. when you're inward focused, you're not the best in a sense, version of yourself where you're able to serve someone around you. So get outside of yourself, get over yourself is kind of what it yeah. really is in the end. But you can't say that in the beginning and actually go serve someone. How do you handle depression? Um, oftentimes it's get out of bed, even though that's where you want to be and go serve yeah. somewhere and just for a few minutes and you already see that your body starts rejuvenating endorphins happen, dopamine hits and you start finding joy. But the hardest part was getting out of bed. The hardest part was leaving the house. Anxiety traps us. Anxiety is also another thing to remember. It's not the actual problem. Like it's a symptom. And so what I see is our goal, the teenagers and young adults I see their goal is to eliminate anxiety. And I'm like, now you're not human. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anxiety is everywhere. I mean, it, 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 like even when you need to feed your child, like you feel that anxiety or you need to change their diaper. Like it, it's there for a purpose. It gets you moving and understanding that anxiety is a good thing and not a bad thing. It's a but bad thing when you turn it into a bad thing. But it's out of control. <laughs> When it's actually over and above or it's an overreaction. Mm -hmm. So a panic attack is the extreme version of that. When you have a panic attack, it's your body saying, hey, uh, you've got some work to do. So why did you have that panic attack? What was the trigger? Why did I have a panic attack? What's the payoff? What was that trying to do in my life to 
manage the system, if you will. And you start realizing there are answers there. And when you start finding the answers, that's the key. It almost always changes who I am. Yeah. So when I start finding those answers, all of a sudden, that's all I needed. I didn't need to go to therapy. I didn't need to talk through all my problems. I didn't need to you know, spill out all my story to some stranger. That's not yeah. always helpful. It's education yeah. and it's growing in my my understanding of who I am, how God made me, how I'm wired. And then, okay, Lord, like now I see that trigger. What do I do yeah. next time I have that trigger? Well, I respond different, but if the if there's no space between the trigger and the behavior, it's like, again, I'm being controlled by it. No, we don't want that. That's not helpful. It's not healthy. I want to be able to steward my self, my emotions. And then you see anxiety is actually a really good barometer of, wow, I'm anxious right now because I didn't prepare well. I'm anxious right now because yeah. I didn't... Um, I wanted to kind of sit over here and do this, but I need to have some motivation. And this is a, yeah. it's put in the right place with some parameters and boundaries. Yeah. I like how you said, like, if you're feeling depression or anxiety or any of that, and like you're going inward, right? You're, you're going into your thoughts, you're going into your trauma, your feelings, and you're going inward. And um, one thing, like even with my self healing journey, like I've learned that, um, washing dishes is one of those things where I go inward because it's, you know, you're just doing something and it's just monotonous. So I'm washing dishes and I notice that's when I kind of go inward and I start. And if my husband comes home when I'm washing dishes, like, he's like, you're not smiling or, you know, you're like, what's wrong, you know, and everything. And it's like, so I've learned to like, you know, when I'm washing dishes, he comes home, like, open that up, open my eyes and look at him, look at his face, look at what he's feeling and get out of my own head so that I can be present in that moment. You know, it's, it's really easy to just go in when you're, (laughs) when you're doing something monotonous for sure. And a lot of what we have to do in life is monotonous. A Mm -hmm. lot of our daily routine and stuff. And so it's not fun. And I hear that from too many people. It's like, well, it's not fun it's not about fun <laughs> we have yeah. to teach our kids that too. <laughs> you know, work like going and doing stuff work-wise isn't always fun that's the yeah. wrong barometer you know or because i yeah. want to need to so um, you have a dog and they just puked well that's not fun to clean up well yeah we do it why i don't want it to yeah. sit there and stay there i don't just the smell just like we I have that with every baby and every you know little person we um, have to <laughs> constantly kind of come behind them. So, um, oh yeah, yeah. What's the motivating factor? And that's where anxiety. It's scary that um, anxiety. I think now more than ever has hijacked our world, our young people especially, because mm-hmm. of our lack of understanding that this is meant to tell you something. So if you're yeah. anxious going to a certain place, there's a reason. So we need to learn why it's more education yeah. about body than it is. I need to run from it. I need to hide. So yeah. the default is off or medicate. Medication is a great tool to calm me down to then get help. Yeah, But it's not the answer for, for anxiety, like the answer. It's a tool towards the answer. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. It's a tool towards the answer.
That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of wraps things up, I think, unless you have something else awesome. that you wanted to add to that. Honored to be here and honored to have this conversation very much. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. And uh, um, so I kind of wanted to see if there's anything else that maybe you wanted to talk about. Like, well, you did say that you wrote a few books, right? You have the, you have two books that you wrote, but there's also an, a workbook for, um, right. I can't yeah, say I, that. Where's that? Right there. I can't say that for parents and the workbook is, um, goes along with it to help you think through the scripture and what is it? What does the Bible say about that? Ask tons of questions because the goal is not to tell you what to think. It's to help you think through your view on marriage and gender and sexuality and all these different topics, like I said earlier. And then the other one here is the similar content written for a teen or preteen to hand to them for them Mm -hmm. to think through the same questions. And the workbook is actually in that one after each chapter for the preteen or teen. Um, I have some families that are doing this this uh other one called going beyond the talk they're doing mm-hmm. it as a family the family devotional um, yeah because it's a conversation going and that's been really cool to hear from different families and then i have online i have a trauma to transform program where i work th- pe- walk people through a trauma class i've been teaching for 15 plus years um mm-hmm. and i find that in that or learning about trauma ends up being all i need i don't need to go talk through all my story only a yeah. few people have to continue a little bit beyond that and then my yeah. current focus has been um, the healing marriage which actually includes all of those things my kids mm-hmm. trauma but god to me created your marriage to be a place of healing where each person helps the other person grow closer into who they should be as a christ follower so um how that's to create beautiful. a healing marriage mm-hmm. that's beautiful yeah because you know, two people bring a lot of, you know, stuff into a marriage. And that's, I yeah. really like the way you said that, like that we're there for each other and there to heal and then grow, grow and yes. be a better person. Both of both, both um, the spouses. And there's, and I see marriage is kind of three people. There's him, there's her, and you got, there's two separate people. They need work on, you know, but there's an us. That's like a third entity of growing that us. And so yeah. all three of them. Um, and you can find all these on my website, uh, healinglives.com or drcoreygilbert.com. So that's right. what I, what I do. Uh, Great. And you, you also have a podcast, right? Yes. So. Podcast. Actually <laughs> this year, 2023, I just changed the name of it again. Cause I am weird like that, but it's the healing lives with Corey Gilbert. And um, I think I have my 300th episode here coming out soon. So. That's great. Woo-hoo. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for, for being here again. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.